0: These past few days, uh, a few weeks, as you know, as I have torn my knee ligament, have been hard having to wear that knee brace. But it's not only been difficult for me, it's also been difficult for my wife, Cindy. You see, I've had to heavily rely upon her to help me put on my socks and my shoes and even my pants. Uh, Because my knee has to be immobilized, I can't reach my feet That is not the problem of the knee, that is the problem of the stomach, but that's a different story. Now, most of the time, she happily helps me put on my socks and my shoes. And I know that there are many times that she is tired, and there are times I don't ask her very nicely to help me. However, I have learned in these past few days to ask her nicely. Because if not, she can make my life very miserable. I've come to realize, if I had not known it before, that she has all the power in her hands. She has the power to simply refuse to help me if she is mad at me. She has the power to make putting on a sock very painful. And if I wasn't nice to her or asked nicely, I would be sockless and I would be shoeless this morning. But because I'm wearing socks and shoes, then you know we're good in our relationship. I'm excited to have this knee brace off in about five weeks, but I'm also more excited that I no longer have to be nice to her for five more weeks. Just five more weeks, I have to be nice to her. But it's not easy being powerless. It is not easy to be helpless, uh, to have someone do something for you, and to recognize that the power is in their hands. I've learned in these few days what humility is, patience, learning that I cannot demand anything. Because if I demand, nothing happens. As we continue our sermon series entitled Alone But Not Alone, Learning to See the Handprints of God, it is appropriate that God has taught me the lesson of seeing his handprint of power as I have ad- undergo what I'm going through. And this morning, we want to see how we, as Christians, can begin to focus our eyes in our daily life to see the handprint of God's power in our life. But first, we must see to it that we come to a point of helplessness. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 17. We're going to exposit verses 17 to 24. 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 17 to 24, as we pick up our study in the life of Elijah. Again, if you're new to the Bible, the book of 1 Kings is in the Old Testament after 2 Samuel and before 2 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 17 reads this Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. We find out this week that the widow we talked about last week has a son. This is the widow who had provided for Elijah, whom God had given never-ending oil and flour. And if you've missed the first two sermons of this series, you can always download it on our website. We find out that her only son, in verse 17 has gotten very sick. And this sickness is so serious that eventually it takes his life. I'm sure this mother tried everything she could to have her son healed. But to all of her best efforts, she could not cure the boy. This son is very much dead. Notice verse 17. The Bible says about his condition that there is no breath left in him. Life is... Had left his body. Now I stress this point because skeptics of the Bible believe that perhaps this boy was only unconscious or perhaps in a coma. But the Bible is very clear this boy is dead. Verse 18. So she said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance? And to kill my son. After her son dies, this woman says to Elijah, What sin have I committed that God would cause my son to die? She blames herself for the death of her only son. Now, if you read these two verses, two things come to mind, two things I notice. First, it doesn't seem that as that boy is dying that Elijah does anything. The author does not record what Elijah does. Now, it could have been that he was traveling, but it seems from a normal reading of the text that he was in the house when the boy died. He was there. But the Bible makes no mention of what Elijah does to help this boy. Elijah's around. How come he's not doing anything? Another thing I noted is Nothing is mentioned of the type of sickness this boy has. And more importantly, nothing is mentioned of why God allowed the sickness to take the life of this boy. Was it because of the mother's sin? What did she do? What did she do that made her feel so guilty that in verse 18, that the first thing that came to mind was maybe God is punishing me for what I did and took the life of my son. The Bible doesn't answer the great theological question of the reason for the sickness that caused death, although we all want to know. As an aside, let me share with you some theology before we move on. In other places in the Scriptures, we find out that sometimes God doesn't explain to us the reasons for why He allows sickness and suffering to occur. Suffering can occur because of God's punishment, Suffering can occur to teach the lesson of trust. Sometimes God allows suffering to allow us to persevere, to teach us a deep lesson to draw closer to Him. In other times, suffering is unexplained and only to show forth the glory of God, as was the case of Job. Also, we know from Scripture that like when we confess our sins, God, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, completely forgives our sin. So when we ask God for forgiveness, then our suffering and our sickness is not because of God's punishment. Now, there are definite consequences to sin, but if a sin has been confessed and forgiven, then the sickness and the suffering we suffer now is not because of God's punishment of a sin. And that's important to note because there are so many people who are sick and they're wondering, maybe this is God punishing me for something I did in the past. God forgives sin. Now, there are consequences to sin, but God completely forgives sin. God is not a vengeful God in that sense. Now, in this passage... The sickness and the reason for sickness is not mentioned. Nor are we told why Elijah doesn't seem to do anything to help. It could be that he had prayed for this child, but it is not mentioned. Why are these points not mentioned? I believe these things are not told us because the author wants us as readers to focus on the fact that Elijah and this woman are utterly helpless. To prevent this boy from dying. Elijah could do nothing of his own power. To save this boy. It didn't matter what this woman did or did not do. The focus is on this boy dying. And both mother and friend are utterly unable to do anything. Why did God bring them to this point of utter helplessness? why does God bring us to this point of utter helplessness? God often brings us to this condition so that His power can be seen clearly and no other factors can be said to have solved the problem outside of God's handprint of power. You see, unless that boy died, we would have assumed perhaps that human powers or abilities had saved him, if Elijah had prayed, perhaps we would have thought, oh, maybe it's because this woman had a prophet and a servant of God in the house. That's why this boy was cured. Maybe I need to have a room for my pastor to live in. I wouldn't mind that. Or perhaps they would have thought, you know what, maybe it's because of medicine at that time that cured the common cold this boy had, and it didn't get worse. But God wanted to show, for, God wanted to show himself clear in this narrative, this story. And so this boy died to show forth that human powers and abilities are utterly useless because once someone dies... There's absolutely nothing you can do apart from what the living God can do. I remember the story of Pastor Wilbur Chaplin when he was in London. He had an opportunity to meet with a man by the name of General Booth. If you know the name Booth, he was the founder of the Salvation Army, who was at that time well past the age of 80. Pastor Chapman listened reverently as this old general spoke of the trials and the conflicts and the victories he had in establishing the Salvation Army. And then this American pastor asked the general if he would disclose his secret for success. Chapman writes in his biography, Booth hesitated a second and I saw the tears come into his eyes and steal down his cheeks. Then he said to me, I will tell you the secret of my success. It's that God has had all there was of me. God had all of me. There had been more men greater than me. There had been men with greater brains than I, men with greater opportunities. But from the day I got the poor of London in my heart and the vision of what Jesus Christ could do with the poor of London... I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth there was. And if there is anything of power in the Salvation Army today, it is because God has all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, and all the influence of my life. Chapman writes that he went away from meeting with General Booth knowing, and he writes these words, that the greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender. I've often thought about those words. The greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender. The reason God brings us to a point of utter helplessness is so that we will throw up our hands in submission and say, Lord, I I can't do it anymore. I can't do this anymore. I can't do it by my own power. There's nothing left except to rely on the power of God. And that's why the greatness of a man's power is proportionate to the measure of his surrender to God. Men and women of faith who do great things in the power of the Holy Spirit are those who have surrendered their life. The more surrender, the more the power of God can be seen in your life. So when we get to this point of utter helplessness, what do we do? Let's take a look. Look at verse 19. And Elijah said to her, Give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Notice that Elijah does not invite the mother to come up with him, and the mother somehow does not ask what Elijah is going to do. Elijah simply asks for the little boy. This boy is young enough and small enough that he carries him in his arms and puts him on his bed in the guest room on the second floor. Notice what Elijah does next, verse 20. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God! Have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodge by killing her son? In utter helplessness, the only thing Elijah does, the only thing we can do is to cry out to God in prayer. And that's what Elijah does. He prays. But perhaps as you read verse 20, you realize this is a bit uncharacteristic for how we would expect a great prophet of God to pray. Look at verse 20. Elijah says to the Lord, Lord, why did you kill this woman's son? Perhaps a bit of anger there. Don't you remember that this is the woman who has graciously offered to take care of me, your servant? Why in the world would you take her son, her only son, from her? You see, in our utter helplessness, the only thing we can do is pray. I want you to see that in the times of utter hopelessness when we cry out to God, prayers are not formal. Somehow, in our formal cultural context, we believe that our prayers are to be so formal to God. And sometimes we get caught up in the formality of our prayer that the words we speak do not express what is on our hearts. What is your heart's cry to the Lord? Elijah expressing a bit of anger. Lord, why? You know that he is in a place of utter helplessness, utter frustration. He cannot do it anymore. It's embarrassing that the prophet of God in whose house he is staying at, God takes the only son. Perhaps some of us, instead of formal prayers, either simply express what's on our heart to God. And if we can't do that, maybe we're not really utterly helpless. Maybe we don't express ourselves in that way then maybe we're simply going through the motions of prayer and not really praying as we should. Now, Elijah never lost faith in God. Look how he refers to him in verse 20. Oh, Lord, my God. Elijah knows that this is the God, the one true God, who has the power to bring this boy back to life. He acknowledges the one true God, Yahweh, and that's why he continues the prayer in verse 21. Look with me. And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, "O oh Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Elijah puts himself over this boy three times as if laying on his hands on him, except this time his body, and prays an impossible request. To an omnipotent God Please let this child live This is an impossible request You've got to understand how difficult This must have been for Elijah You see never before in the history of scripture From Genesis until First Kings Has God ever brought someone from the dead Back to life It didn't happen for Adam or Abraham or Moses or Joshua. And so Elijah couldn't pray. And God, just as you did with Isaac, would you raise up this boy again? There has been no example. Elijah knows that the God Yahweh can do it. But there's never been a previous example for when he has done it. This would be the first time in Scripture. And therefore, to the understanding of Elijah, God can do it, but he's never done it before. And therefore, how would you pray? Most of us, I think, would simply pray, Lord, bring comfort to this woman's life. Right? That's how we pray. Bring comfort. But Elijah in utter helplessness, cries out his heart's desire, Lord, bring life back to this boy. I know it's never happened before in the history of man, but perhaps now. And and who is this boy? This isn't King David. This isn't Abraham. This isn't Moses. This is just a boy who is nameless. Would you show forth your first miracle to bring someone from the dead back to life in the life of this boy? And so he asked the Lord in simple, utter desperation to do just that. I wonder sometimes, do our prayers come from a truly helpless heart brought before an omnipotent, almighty God? Is our prayer sprinkled with impossible requests, with the real belief that the Almighty God could answer it if He wanted to? Is our prayer sprinkled with impossible requests, with a real belief that the Almighty God can answer it if He wanted to? You see, I think for a lot of us, we put God into a box. We don't pray the impossible because we don't think that's how he will answer it. But God has never said, based on how you think I will answer your prayer, then pray it. He says, pray and see me work. And so I've had the opportunity to ask people, what are your prayer requests? And I'm not knocking these requests. These are legitimate concerns. But the vast majority of prayers that I pray for when people ask me to pray are, Lord, help my family not to get sick. Anything else? No, that's it, just sickness. Nothing wrong with that. That is a very valid prayer request. But it seems like God is only the God who keeps away the common cold and viruses. That's who God is. That's God's job, to make sure that we don't get colds and bacterial infections and viruses. And he is that God. But is there anything else? Well, pastor, pray that I will do well in school. Anything else? No, that's it. As if God is your heavenly tutor, which he is, Anyway, he will give you wisdom. But I wonder sometimes, this is my only perception, that I wonder if our requests are so. Because that's still in our purview of control for how we think God can answer those requests. Does that make sense? Why aren't we asking for the impossible Why don't we ask for God to change my husband who doesn't seem to want to change? Or my stubborn wife who I've told hundreds of times she can't do that and yet she does. Or what about a parent asking and praying and crying out to God, Lord, change my rebellious teen i am at my wits and i don't know how to handle this kid influenced by the culture has no desire for things that are spiritual doesn't want to come to church lord i can't do it anymore would you do a miraculous work in the life of that child do we pray with such passion an impossible request in our hearts to an omnipotent god who can change hearts How about praying in the helplessness of who we are for our parents our Buddhist parents who have said they will never follow Jesus Christ they will never call upon his name how many of you fervently pray to an omnipotent God in your helplessness to fulfill that impossible request No wonder so many people complain they don't see God at work and they don't see the power of God displayed because they are not praying like Elijah prayed from the heart, direct to the point, foundation by faith. Asking an omnipotent God to do the impossible. Is your prayer, like Elijah's prayer, a call to see God's power at work? Can your prayer every morning as you wake up, Lord, may your majesty and your power be evident today in my life. Powerful prayers are those that acknowledge our helplessness and recognize the omnipotence of God. Lord, let this child's soul come back to him. What right does Elijah have to ask that? He has no right to a boy who is nameless, of no consequence, humanly, you may say. Let's see how God works, verse 22. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to circle that verb in verse 22. I want you to highlight it. I want you to circle the word heard. The Lord heard the voice of Elijah. In verse 22, you have in this one verb a great theological truth. God hears our prayers. Imagine that that the God of the universe would hear the prayers of insignificant me and you. But when we say those words, dear Heavenly Father, immediately the ears of the Almighty turn towards you. And here's the next words you have to say. Imagine the privilege that that carries. Imagine the access. As I've been reading, everyone has been flying down to Davao. Flights are expensive. Hotels are booked. To simply get an audience with our president-elect to get his ear. But we don't have to ply off to heaven. The simple words Dear Heavenly Father, immediately his ear is attuned towards our request. It is a wonderment why we do not pray more. Now God can choose to answer our prayers as he desires and he could have chosen not to revive this child, but this time he did. And this child was given life again. You see, the handprints of God's power is most often seen in our prayers. The handprint of God's power is most often seen in our prayers. When we pray, we get the attention of the ears of God, and in that we sit back and simply see His power displayed. That's how it works. If you want to see the power of God in your life, you bring your request before Him. And then you take your hands off. You don't try to manipulate the situation. And you watch God at work in all of His glory and in His power. I like what Walt Disney says. It's kind of fun to do the impossible. I wonder if that's the attitude of God when we pray. Because I know he loves to do the impossible. Scriptures replete with examples of almighty God doing the impossible. As A.W. Tozer says, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we plan only the things we can do by ourselves. Isn't that great? Tozer, a man of great wisdom. God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we plan only the things we can do by ourselves. It's an issue of surrender. It's an issue of feeling comfortable in helplessness. And this amazing display of God's power to do the impossible through prayer is something that Elijah will need because in chapter 18, as we'll get there in a few weeks, when he battles the prophets of Baal, he will by prayer have to ask for God to do the impossible. And when God answers our prayers, he does so on his will, not ours. If His will is consistent with our request, then we often say, well, we saw His power at work. He answered my prayers. When He doesn't answer our prayers according to our desires, but His will, He still answers our prayers, and we can still see His power It's just a bit harder to see. But you must understand that whenever He answers a prayer according to His will, His power is displayed. Sometimes it's not in the magnificent things. As chapter 19, Elijah will learn, it's not in the earthquake. It's not in the fire. It's in the still, small voice. It's in the small things. That God reveals his power when he doesn't answer it according to our will. I learned that this week. As you know, Cindy and I left for Hong Kong last Sunday after preaching and uh, officiating a wedding. (laughs) We went to Hong Kong uh, to join our life group uh, for their last 40 hours of their trip for fellowship and sharing. They had already gotten there a few days earlier. And we had all booked our hotels uh, a few months ago uh, to get a great discount rate. And we had all decided and settled on staying in Causeway Bay in Hong Kong, if you're familiar with that area, uh, at a hotel called Butterfly on Morrison. I booked online, as everyone else did, to get that great discount rate, and when Cindy and I got on the airplane, we were looking forward to an enjoyable time with our life group. While we were sitting in the airplane, Cindy asked me, out of the blue, I don't know why, can I see the hotel voucher? She usually trusts me completely, uh, as she should, but this time she asked to see the hotel voucher. I said, here it is. I pulled it out of my backpack. Here it is. We're staying at the Butterfly on Morrison. She looked at the voucher, and she said, no, we're not. We're staying at the Butterfly on Victoria. I said, no, we're all staying at the Butterfly on Morrison. We all booked this place. He says, no, look at the voucher. It says very clearly, Butterfly on Victoria. And so before the plane took off while it was on the runway, I quickly vibrated a friend. I said, could you do me a favor? Uh, could you call down to the hotel lobby, tell them about the situation? Could you ask them to transfer us in this non-refundable hotel reservation? Could you ask them if they would be willing to transfer us from the butterfly on Victoria to the butterfly on Morrison where everyone else was staying? And then... The plane was about to take off, and so I lost the signal. I didn't think it would be too hard. Uh, it was the same chain of hotels, uh, but it would be difficult, of course. And so my wife and I prayed uh, on the airplane, asking that God would allow for us to be in the same hotel as all the other six couples. Because I knew that I would be preaching this message this Sunday on the God who loves to do the impossible. And I was just hoping that when we landed, that I would find out that the hotel was switched and I would have a story to tell you this morning. Well, we landed, quickly got onto the hotel Wi-Fi, received the Viber message, a very disappointing message. Sorry, Steve. The hotel says... They cannot change your reservation. Same hotel chain, different management team. I'll be honest with you. I threw what I just shared with you back to God. I said, God, in my heart, I said, God, aren't you the God who does the impossible? I got to preach it this Sunday. Now I have nothing to share. I was very disappointed. I thought, God, I prayed. What a cool story would have been that you allowed this to happen. And so, with great disappointment, we took a, a bus to Butterfly on Victoria and we checked in. And as we checked in, the lady said, Sir, uh, we're fully booked. But because we're fully booked, we've taken the liberty, liberty to upgrade you to a bigger room. You know how Hong Kong hotels are very small. We've upgraded you to a bigger room with a king-size bed. Okay, thanks. I'd rather switch hotels. Uh, it's still a blessing. And then I asked her, uh, because we were meeting the group late in the evening, I said, ma'am, could you tell me, as you can see I'm in a knee brace, uh, my walk is limited, uh, can you tell me how far is the MTR stop? And this was her reply to me. She said, sir, you have chosen the right hotel. Out of all the butterfly chains in Hong Kong, this hotel is the closest one to the MTR stop at only a two-minute walk. And I said, well, how far is it from the MTR to the Morrison Hotel? She told me it is a 15-minute walk. Then I understood. You see, God displays his power in prayer. But just not my will, but his will. That he would allow me months before to make a mistake booking the wrong hotel because he knew in his sovereignty that I would tear my knee ligament so that he made me make a mistake to put me in a place only two minutes away from the subway and to be in a hotel that was overbooked so that I would be upgraded to a, a room big enough to stretch out my legs. If you do not see the handprint of God's power displayed in that Then I don't know what you're looking for. I realize that is the truth God's power at work in our prayers. Do you want to see God's handprint of power? You can see it every day in your life. You need to pray for it. The response, verse 23 and 24. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. I've always wondered why the mom never went up to see what was happening in the room. I've always wondered why Elijah never invited her up. I genuinely believe that Elijah didn't know if God would bring the son back or not. Notice in verse 19, Elijah never promised the mother that he would bring the boy back to life. Elijah said, give me the boy and left the results into the hands of God. In our prayers, we do not demand of God. We have no right to demand of Him anything. We can appeal. We can pray. But we do not demand. But when we ask of our sovereign, loving God, let me see your power at work. Oftentimes, He is more than ready, willing, happily, to show it. That's the very story of this church. We're not worthy and deserving of what we've experienced these past 10 years in a revival. Because if I know the history of this church, which I do, we've really messed it up. But we appeal to God in prayer, Lord, let us see revival again. And God says, you step back. And you begin to see me at work. It is is in the impossibilities that we see God's handprint of power in our prayers. And the response of this woman, dead sun goes up, living sun comes down. This woman proclaims, acknowledging that God is powerful and living and that His servants are able to serve as a channel of His blessings. And notice at the end of verse 24, she acknowledges that it is the Word of God that is truth, not the words of man. You see, the focus is not on Elijah. The focus is on the power of God, the Word of God exhibited through Elijah. Sometimes we miss the point. Sometimes we think that the power of God is only defined by the results answered prayers. Answered prayers that is of our will. But the power of God is not often seen in the results. The power of God is seen in the process. Understand that. The power of God is not seen often in the results. It can be seen. But the power of God in our lives is seen in the process of how we find ourselves helpless, acknowledging and calling for the help of the one who is almighty and omnipotent. Don't miss the point. If we have seen something, may we ascribe it to the power of God. You see, the response is to be strengthened of faith, to believe with greater intensity. There's a lot of people who experience the power of God. They look at the results. They say, thank you, God, and they move on with their regular Christian life. No strengthening of faith, no deeper walk with God. And so that's why... It's not result-oriented. The power of God is made manifest in the process of a helpless man coming alongside, hand in hand, with an omnipotent God every day, seeing Him get us through another day. The fact that you are who you are and have what you have is not simply His grace in your life. It is His power to do an amazing work in your life. Do you see the power of God's handiwork in your life every day? And if you still can't think of one, remember the cross. Remember what Jesus Christ did on your life, that every day you have an evidence that you stand redeemed, that you are saved from the realities that you deserve hell. That is the power of Christ over death, and that is imprinted in your life every day. Do you live in the victory Of a Christ who is alive and has made you alive. Pray the impossible and watch God at work. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. A simple story. for many of us, we take for granted and throw away. But when we look through heaven's eyes, it is a powerful story of your omnipotent power. Bring us to a place of helplessness, everyone in humility, so that we can throw up our hands and cry for help. May this church and the people of this church know how to pray for the impossible. For husbands and wives and children and families and businesses and friends. Whatever they may be. And let us watch in wonderment at the power of God working in our lives every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.